Oh, mercy. Open your Bibles, please, to John chapter 10. As you're doing that, let me just remind you that last week we were in verses 1 through 6. And Jesus has been talking about sheep. He's been talking about shepherds and sheepfolds. And all that is to prepare them for the hammer blow that's about to fall in verses 7 through 18. In verses 7 through 18, we're going to run into Jesus' next two I am statements. Now, back in chapter 6, he said that he was the bread of life. I am the bread of life. In chapter 8, he said, I am the light of the world. Now, in this portion, he's going to say, I am the door of the sheep. And I am the good shepherd. So follow along with me, please, as I read verses 1 through 21. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he brings all his own out, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. A stranger they will never follow, but will flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers." This figure of speech, Jesus spoke to them, but they did not understand what those things were which he had been saying to them. So, Jesus said to them again, Truly, truly, I say to you. Notice he's repeating that same rabbinical formula that he started with in verse 1. Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches and scatters them because he is a hired hand and is not concerned about the sheep. I am the good shepherd and I know my own and my own know me. Even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep which are not from this fold. I must bring them also, and they will hear my voice. And they will become one flock with one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me. Because I lay down my life so that I may take it again. No one takes it away from me, but from myself I lay it down. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I received from my Father. 
a division occurred again among the Jews because of these words. And many of them were saying, he has a demon and is insane. Why do you listen to him? Others, now notice these are others among the Jews, among the Pharisees, the ruling class, the religious class. Others were saying, these are not the words of someone demon-possessed. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Pray with me, please. Lord, this is your word. All we desire to do tonight is to make it plain. So please, I pray that you'd give us ears to hear, eyes to see, and that you'd give me plain, clear speech. For your glory's sake. And for our great good. Amen. Mm. First, as we go through this tonight, beginning in verse 7. See how Jesus describes himself as the door of the sheep. There in verses 7 and verse 9. Now I want to remind you again. There were two kinds of sheepfolds in ancient Palestine. We talked last week about the communal sheepfold. The communal sheepfold would have high walls. It would be permanent. It would be near the village or near the town. And there would be several flocks kept there. And the shepherds who owned the sheep, who owned these flocks, would hire someone to be the doorkeeper at the sheepfold. And the doorkeeper's job was to keep thieves from coming in and stealing the sheep. And then whenever a bonafide shepherd who had a flock in there came up then obviously he recognized him and would let him in and that shepherd then would call his own sheep by name and his own sheep would follow him out all the rest of the sheep would hear him call but they didn't recognize his voice and they didn't hear their name and so they would just stay behind well, the fold we're talking about tonight, <clears throat> the door to the fold that we're talking about tonight, is that second kind of sheepfold. And that second kind of sheepfold was what we would call a field expedient sheepfold. It would be when you're far away from town, you're feeding your flocks far away from town. And what the shepherds would do is they would gather brushwood or they would gather thorn bushes or whatever and make a circular pen wouldn't have high walls like it had there near the town but it was just high enough so that the sheep wouldn't escape and wander all over the territory at night and hopefully to deter any animals that might want to feed on them at night <clears throat> but there would be no door to this sheepfold there would just be an opening wide enough for the shepherd to lie down in and the shepherd himself would lie down and sleep in that opening. And he became the door of the sheep. And any wolf or any lion or bear would have to come over him to get to the sheep. Any thief would have to come over him to get to the sheep. And any stupid sheep that thought he wanted to go out and wander around for a midnight snack on the side of the mountain, he couldn't get out. So this is the kind of sheepfold that the Lord Jesus is talking about when he says, I am the door of the sheep. And everyone that was listening to him would understand what he was talking about. When he said, I am the door 
they would immediately recognize he's talking about sheepfolds and they know what the shepherd does there. Now, look at verse 9. In verse 9, the Lord Jesus says, I am the door. This is a third I am statement. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. In other words, what he's saying there is, I'm the door. If anyone enters through me, he'll be saved and go in. Well, what's inside the sheepfold? Protection. When do the sheep go into the sheepfold? In the evening. And so the Lord Jesus is saying, I'm the door. I'm the one who protects God's flock. And notice what he also says there in verse 9. And he will go out and find pasture. That through me, the sheep will be fed. Now we know that he's talking about spiritual protection and spiritual feeding. The, uh, the crowd that was listening to him probably wasn't picking up on that. But what the Lord Jesus is saying is, I am the one that protects God's flock from being led astray and being devoured by false teachers. And I am the one who feeds God's flock on the word and the ways of the God that they worship. And that's going to come up here in just a minute. You see, the religious leaders, that is the ones he calls the Jews here, claimed to be functioning like a door for the Jewish people. They claimed to offer the way of salvation. They claimed to protect Israel. And how we're going to protect you is that you follow our laws as well as all the covenant requirements that Yahweh has set on Israel and you'll be protected from the wrath of God. They claimed to feed God's people on his word and his ways. But what they had done was they had substituted their own regulations, their own rabbinical conjectures about the word of God for the word of God. It's almost as if instead of preaching this passage tonight, I got up here and started preaching a commentary on this passage. No, we want to know what the word of God says. Commentaries are good to help you understand things, but don't preach the commentary to me. Preach the word to me. But the Jews, the religious leaders, were preaching their own interpretations of God's word rather than God's word. Hmm. So they claimed to feed God's people, but actually God's people were starving for lack of feeding from God's word. They were preaching what the Lord Jesus calls the tradition of men. You claim to honor God's word, but you substitute for it the tradition of men. They pretended to be the door. They pretended to be the way to God and to salvation. They pretended to be the way that if you come through them, you're going to understand God's word. You're going to understand God. But they weren't a door. They were an obstruction. Jesus says they're even worse. Look down at verse 8. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. Please note, all who came before me are thieves and robbers, not were thieves and robbers. 
the thieves and robbers that came before Jesus were there. They were still there. They were the crowd of Pharisees standing around him. They were the Jews. They were the religious leaders. They claimed that they were going to feed God's people. They claimed they were going to protect God's people. But really all they were about was to steal them from God. They claimed that they wanted to be God's instruments for the betterment of God's people. And yet all they were doing was endangering God's people's souls. Now, when Jesus says in verse 8, all who came before me are thieves and robbers, some people would say, well, is he talking about the Old Testament prophets? No. Because the Old Testament prophets actually did protect God's people. Actually did feed God's people on God's word. At least they attempted to, as long as the people were willing to listen to them. But this crowd, the religious, the religious leader crowd, were instead thieves and robbers. They're trying to steal God's sheep away from him for themselves. For their own benefit. For their own enrichment. Look at verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they, that is the sheep, may have life and have it abundantly. While they were pretending to feed and protect Israel, they were actually out to steal, kill, and destroy God's people for themselves. Now the reason I keep emphasizing that is you think about it. Why would a thief steal a sheep? Well, one reason he steals a sheep is he's hungry. So what's he going to do with that sheep when he steals it? Going to take it home and pet it? Going to feed it? Going to take it out so the sheep? No. He's going to take it home and kill it. The thief comes but to kill. He's going to kill it. He's going to slaughter it. He's going to butcher it. He's going to cook it and eat it. Another reason a thief would steal a sheep was to sell it. The thief, the thief comes but to steal, to kill, and to destroy. In other words, either way it's going to be a disaster for the sheep. It's going to be destruction for the sheep. He's going to be taken away from his fold. He's going to be taken away from his, his shepherd. He's going to be exploited and ultimately killed. Jesus says... That's what you're doing. These Pharisees, these Sadducees, these scribes were following in the footsteps of the corrupt religious leaders of the Old Testament. God had already talked about these kinds of leaders, these kinds of shepherds before. Turn in your Bible to Jeremiah chapter 23. I'll give you time to get there. Jeremiah 23. I'm going to read verses 1 and 2. Listen to what Yahweh has to say to the priests and the Levites and the prophets that he had entrusted Israel to. Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture, declares Yahweh. Therefore, thus says Yahweh, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who are shepherding my people, you have scattered my flock and banished them and have not attended to them. Behold, I am about to send on you 
to send to you for the evil of your deeds, declares Yahweh. You were supposed to take care of my flock, but you scattered them. You've exploited them. Even worse, go to Ezekiel chapter 34. Ezekiel chapter 34. This is written about the same time that he spoke to Jeremiah. During the last days of the southern kingdom of Judah. Beginning with verse 1. Then the word of Yahweh came to me saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to those shepherds, Thus says Lord Yahweh, Woe, shepherds of Israel, who have been shepherding themselves. Should not the shepherds shepherd the flock? You eat the fat and clothe yourselves with the wool. You sacrifice the fat sheep without shepherding the flock. Those who are sickly you have not strengthened, and the diseased you have not healed, and the broken you have not bound up, and the scattered you have not brought back, nor have you searched for the lost, but with strength and with severity you have dominated them. Now, if you've read anything in the, the Gospels, that's the Pharisees. That's the scribes. That's the Sadducees. They were supposed to shepherd and care for God's flock. But instead they exploited them. Instead they destroyed them for their own profit. The Sadducees had enriched themselves by kickbacks from the vendors who sold the approved sacrificial animals that the Sadducees themselves had approved in the temple. Remember in John chapter 2, that's already been dealt with. The Lord Jesus comes into the temple and what does he see? He sees all these vendor stalls. He sees all these animals. He sees God's people coming in with their own animal to sacrifice and the, the, the Sadducees rather, the priests say, no, 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 that one's not good enough. You have to buy one of ours. And they were selling them animals at exorbitant prices. They were stealing from the sheep. And then the Pharisees, the Lord Jesus says, loved money. He says, they mercilessly foreclosed on widows. He says, they refused to provide for their elderly parents. We talked about this last week, the whole idea of Corban. They thought that by coming up with this device, this invention of theirs, they wouldn't have to support their families in their old age, their parents in their old age. And Jesus condemned them for that. You see, the Jews, the religious leaders, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the scribes, were supposed to be shepherds of God's people. And yet, what they actually turned out to be was wicked predatory false shepherds. They turned out to be thieves and robbers. And Jesus contrasts himself to them. Look down to the second half of verse 10. Well, actually beginning with the beginning of verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they, that is the sheep, may have life and have it abundantly. I came. I came in order to give them what the other shepherds were supposed to be giving to them. They kill. I give life. 
And the life he's talking about there is eternal life. No, it's really living, not just existing. They steal. I give abundantly. And through me, they are fed and fed to the full. And look at verse 11. I am the good shepherd. There is our fourth I am statement. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. This is exclusive. The Lord Jesus Christ is saying, I and I alone am the good shepherd. I love, he uses the word good. There's two Greek words in the New Testament that we translate by one English word, good. One word is agathos. Agathos means beneficial. Useful. In other words, if you were to say, I'm looking for a good car. You're looking for a useful car. You're not looking for a car with high morals. You're not looking for a car that's ethically excellent. You're looking for a car that's reliable, that's going to start when you want to start. That's not going to give you any problems. You're looking for a car that runs well. You want a good car and beneficial car and agathos car. But the other word, the word that Jesus uses here for himself as the good shepherd is kalos. And kalos means ethically excellent. It's what we would use when we would describe somebody as having a good heart. So, if you said that you were looking for a good wife, that means if you're looking for a kalos wife, not just an agathos wife, not just a beneficial wife, a wife who's going to keep your house, who's going to share your bed, who's going to cook your food, wash your clothes. Nah. A callous wife goes far beyond that. This kind of good is a wife who walks with the Lord Jesus Christ. She reads the word. She prays with you and for you. She helps raise your children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. She serves the Lord Jesus Christ with you in his church. In other words, the word that he uses here, the word kalos, means eth ethically excellent. It means someone who is well-pleasing to God. Mm. He says, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He lays down his life for the sheep that the Father gave him from before the foundation of the world. He lays down his life for the sheep that the Father has drawn to him. He lays down his life for the sheep that the Father gives him. And the sheep that the Father gives him will come to him. John chapter 6 says. Four times in the rest of this passage, the Lord Jesus Christ repeats, He lays down his life for the sheep. You say, now, wait a minute. What's so unique about that? A lot of shepherds risk their lives for the sheep. Hmm. David, we're told in 1 Samuel 17, David says he fought the lion and he fought the bear and killed them to protect his father's sheep. But when shepherds fight 
a lion or a bear or a wolf to protect their sheep, they don't intend to die. They intend to kill the animal. When the shepherd fights the thief, he doesn't intend to die. He intends to beat the thief and to live. When Jesus says, I lay down my life for the sheep, he intends to die for his sheep. When any other shepherd lays down his life for his sheep, he goes to fight against the animal for his sheep, he goes to fight against the thief for his sheep, and he's killed while he's doing it, that's a disaster for the sheep. The sheep now, if it's a man that's a thief, they're going to be stolen and they're going to be hauled away. If it's a lion, a bear, or a wolf, some of them are going to be killed and eaten and the rest of them are going to be scattered and the whole flock is going to, then going to be helpless against any other predator that comes along. But when the Lord Jesus Christ lays down his life for his sheep, his laying down his life gives us life. It's not a disaster. It's paradise. He gives us life. And he gives us life abundantly when he lays down his life for his sheep. Isaiah 53 verse 11. The father speaking about the Lord Jesus Christ calls him my servant. He says my servant the righteous one will justify the many as he will bear their iniquities. How is he going to justify the many? Verse 12. Because he poured out his soul to death. And we know that's the death of the cross. And just like the Lord Jesus Christ contrasted himself with the religious leaders back in verses 7 through 10 when he said, I am the door, but they're the thieves and the robbers. He contrasted himself to them again in verses 12 through 15. He's the shepherd who owns the sheep. He's the shepherd who knows his sheep. He's the shepherd who lays down his life for them. And it's explicit in verse 14. Look at that. I am the good shepherd and I know my own and my own know me even as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. My sheep know me the way I know my Father and my Father knows me. Spiritually. Not just facial recognition. Not just a voice. But spirit to spirit communication. We know the Lord Jesus Christ not because we've ever seen him. No, none of us have ever seen Christ. We're, when we see him in heaven or when he comes, that'll be the first time in our life we ever look on his face. I think he's going to be about a five foot six inch Jew. Because that would have been about the size of a Jew in his day. And he's going to look like a five foot six inch Jew. A glorified five foot six inch Jew. But that'll be the first time that we'll ever see him. But we know him now. We know him. We talk to him. And he talks to us out of his word. We pour out our, our hearts to him and we know, we know that he hears us. And when he opens up his word to us, he speaks to us and we know that's his voice. He says, just like the, I know the Father and the Father knows me, my sheep know me. Hmm. But, these Pharisees, these scribes, these Sadducees, they're just hired hands. Hmm. 
They don't have any heart for the sheep. They're only in it for what they can get out of the sheep. The hired hand was only interested in a paycheck. The sheep mean nothing to him. The scribes, the Pharisees, and the Sadducees, they're only interested in the money they can extort out of the sheep, <clears throat> out of the living they can make from the sheep, and out of the respect and the high status that they're going to have among the sheep. They don't really care about the sheep at all. When you read in, in, in the Synoptic Gospels, uh, the attitude that they have toward the people, that the common people, that were following Christ. These ignorant, these stupid people who don't know the law. They despised God's sheep. They only wanted to use God's sheep. And so when the wolf comes, when the false teacher comes, when the Greek philosopher comes, when it gets to be hot, when the Romans come and say you can't worship Yahweh anymore they flee they run because as Jesus says they're not concerned about the sheep they're only concerned about their own profit their own benefit they studied they became the approved religious leaders they have their MDiv degrees or their, or their THDs or whatever but they're in it only for their personal profit. What they can get out of religion. Verse 16. Look at that. And Jesus says that I have other sheep which are not from this fold. That is the fold of Judaism. I must bring them also. And they will hear my voice. And they will become one flock with one shepherd. <laughs> now... If these hired hand Jews had understood what Jesus was saying right there, they would have been outraged. Because we know, we looked at this last week, when he says, I have other sheep which are not from this fold, he's talking about us. He's talking about Gentiles. Now, when Jesus says, I have sheep not from this fold, please note that he also says, I must bring them in also I must bring them in yeah. also yeah. nothing is going to deter me from bringing this flock in with my other Jewish flock as well they will hear my voice uh, it's worth the time go to Acts chapter 14 this is what happened in Antioch Antioch of Pisidia. Acts chapter 14. <clears throat> or just listen to me as I read it. I'll begin with verse 44. Whoops. 13. Uh, 13. Thank you, Alan. Beginning with verse 44. The next Sabbath, now this is in Antioch, after uh, Paul and Barnabas have preached one Sabbath. The next Sabbath, nearly the whole city assembled to hear the word of the Lord. <laughs> Can you imagine that? Can you imagine if all of Hamlet showed up at one church? I mean, really. If all of Ashborough showed up at Providence? Good night. I don't know if we've got anybody with a strong enough voice for everybody to be able to hear it. The next Sabbath, nearly the whole city assembled to hear the word of the Lord. 
But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began contradicting the things spoken by Paul, blaspheming. Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and said, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first. Since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, I have placed you as a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the end of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was being spread through the whole region. They will hear my voice. And there will be one flock and one shepherd. In Ephesians chapter 2, that's what Paul's talking about. You Gentiles... You are apart from Israel. You are separate from the commonwealth of Israel. You are separate from the the promises of God. You are separate from the covenants of Israel. But now in Christ, you who were far off have been brought near. And God has broken down the middle wall of separation between Jew and Gentile. And made out of the two one new man. One flock. Hmm. Verse 17. For this reason, that there is going to be one shepherd, one flock, I'm going to lay down my life for all these people, Jew and Gentile, for all that the Father has given me. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it again. Does that disturb you a little bit? The wording there. For this reason... Because I lay down my life, the Father loves me. Wait a minute. Hasn't the Father always loved the Son? And the answer is yes. So what's Jesus saying? What Jesus says is saying here is that his obedience and laying down his life for the sheep that the Father has given him expresses that love. When I was in Massachusetts, there was a, a family, the O'Connor family. I think they're now in Maine. And most of my lovelies have, have since been married and have children. But they had five daughters. At that time, they had five daughters. They ended up having a total of 11 children altogether. But they had five daughters and four sons. And all five of the daughters were just absolutely lovely. The little beauties. And they just wrapped me around their little finger. Now that I'm old, and even though this is being recorded, I'm old and they're far away. It's safe for me to say that. And the third daughter was Katie. She was the redhead. Now, all of the girls took music lessons at this particular school that taught music. And they all took a different uh, instrument. Katie took violin. And when they had the, the Pakachog Music School recitals, they were all there and they all, had, they all played their parts. They had solos that they played to prove what they had learned during that year. And Kay, Katie was playing this extended solo on her violin. And she came to a point and she couldn't remember what the next bar was. And she just hit the wall. And I'm sitting there thinking, oh no. 
because she's about 12, maybe 13 at the time, standing in front of all these parents, in front of all these people, all these other students, and she just went blank. But she didn't break down and cry. She didn't squeal and run off to the side. She just backed up a few bars and went at it again. Hit the same wall. She took a breath. She backed up a few bars and went at it again. Hit the wall. Then she asked her music teacher, could you play those previous bars, please? And the music teacher went over to the piano and played it on the piano. And Katie joined in with her and went right on and finished her piece. And I'm sitting there, and you know how emotional I am and how easy it is for me to cry. <laughs> Why are you laughing? <laughs> I came close to it. And after the concert, all the students are standing there with their instruments, and I went over to Katie, and I took her by the shoulders, and I said, My brave Katie, I love you. Now, I loved her before that concert. I loved her because of who she was. I loved her for her character. I knew this girl. I knew that this young lady was a daughter of God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I knew that she lived to please the Lord Jesus Christ. I knew that she wanted to be some man's godly wife someday. And she wanted to be a godly daughter to her parents at that time. But what I was saying is, what you just demonstrated in your courage reveals why I've loved you all this time. It's revealed your character. It has revealed who you are. I love you. That's what Jesus is saying here. What I'm about to do in laying down my life for the sheep is an obedience to the commandment I've received from my Father. And this demonstrates, this expresses what I am and what I have been from the beginning. And because of who I am, my Father loves me. And then you get to verse 18. And verse 18 is one of those clap and shout verses. Once again, we see the Lord Jesus' absolute authority and sovereignty. While he was here on earth, not just after he was exalted in heaven. Verse 18. Well, let me read verse 17 again. For this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me. But from myself I lay it down. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I receive from my Father. No one takes my life from me. But from myself I lay it down. He'll be no victim when he's, crossed, when he's crucified. He won't be some helpless martyr. He's not going to run into situations beyond his control and get swept up in the events. No. He's in full control of his life and he's in full control of his death. They can't seize him until he allows it. They can't try him until he allows it. They can't condemn him and crucify him until he allows it. He can't be killed. He won't die until he lays down his life. 
in John 19.30 when we get there there will be another hallelujah time the scripture says after he has borne all of the father's wrath for our sins in his own body on the tree after he has drunk the cup of the father's wrath to the full after he has made full payment for all of the sins of all of his people he threw his head back and shouted out it is finished and gave up his spirit he didn't die until he gave up his spirit he willed himself to die he says I have authority to lay my life down and I have authority to take it up again now who can raise a three day dead corpse to life only God what is he saying here he's putting it out there for us again just like he did in chapter 8 I and the father are one and they took up stones to stone him because they knew what he was saying and here they're just so flustered by all that he's poured out on them here about who he is that it, they, don't, they can't respond but the, what he's saying is so clear I have authority to take it up again because I am God and only God can raise the dead that's a shouting verse if he didn't raise himself he couldn't raise us the resurrection is just as important as the cross without the resurrection there is no salvation because if he didn't raise himself from the dead he was a liar and we're still in our sins but he raised himself from the dead because he is God <sighs> this commandment I received from my father <clears throat> I think he's talking to the Jews now when he says that you boys remember that when you seize me when you try me when you condemn me when you make the Romans nail me to a cross and you're tempted to think see he was a liar and a blasphemer all, all along because God, the, uh, God Yahweh is allowing him to be killed for his blasphemies. He says, no, all of this that I told you today, all these things I've told you in the past about who I am and what I can do, this commandment I receive from my father. You remember that. And when I raise myself from the dead, you remember that as well. Then in verses 19 through 21, and we can close. <clears throat> a division occurred again. <laughs> I love this. A division occurred again among the Jews. This is the third time they're divided. Back in chapter 7, at the Feast of Booths, when all of this began, you have to remember this is all of this from chapter 7 until what we've seen down through verse 21 is taking place over a couple of day period. Everything from chapter 8 verse 1 until now is taking place on the same day. And it's at the Feast of Booths when he was teaching in the temple and they wanted to seize him. And some of them said he's mad, he's insane, he's demonized. 
And others are saying, no, th- these are not the words of a madman. Now these are Pharisees talking among themselves. And then in chapter 9, on the, at the same day, after he was healing the man born blind, and some of them said he's a sinner. And the other Pharisees said, but can a sinner open the eyes of a man born blind? And now, a division occurred again among the Jews because of these words. And many of them were saying, he has a demon. That is insane. Why do you listen to him? Others were saying, these are not the words of someone demon-possessed. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Hmm. What do we get from this tonight? The Lord Jesus Christ is our door. If we're going to enter into the kingdom of heaven, we have to come through him. Otherwise, we're going to be devoured by all the lies and the deceits that are out there. The Lord Jesus Christ is our good shepherd. He laid down his life for us. He laid it down. He bore all the wrath that we deserve. He took it all on himself. And not until he had paid the last penny did he allow himself to die. And he did it for us. He did it for us. We can trust him. We must trust him. Would you stand with me please? Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost, as it was in the beginning, is and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Amen. And we're dismissed.